Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome back to America's Heroes Group. This section is the roundtable with partner veteran legislative voice. Today is Saturday, October 9th, 2021. And also to make sure you listen to us if you can't get to a radio, if you're not listening to us on the radio, we are on Facebook Live. So log in and also look at us on YouTube. If you see a video for watching this on YouTube, then the eternity of YouTube and the eternity of the Internet, click and like and subscribe, like and subscribe. October is National Breast Cancer and Domestic Violence Awareness Month. My name is Sean Claiborne, National Guard veteran from Illinois. Our host is Cliff Kelly. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith. And our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have, once again, our great panelist, Stephanie Collada. She's a U.S. Army Reserve Sergeant First Class veteran and founder and creator of the Veterans Legislative Voice. And today we want to talk about something serious because this is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And there is a high rate of breast cancer among military veterans, women, and also possibly men as well. Stephanie, you with us today? Yes. Hi. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you with us. And this was yeah, something that, um, that kind of shocked me looking at this information and kind of, uh, I guess I'm not that shocked, but I am sort of surprised that there is higher, higher rates of breast cancer among veterans than yeah. in the general population, something like a 40% increase in, and are more likely to get breast cancer. I mean, talk about this. What is this all, what is this all about? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, Walter Reed actually found that statistic that um, women veterans are 40% more likely to actually produce breast cancer. There's a couple of reasons for that. And I like to point to that not many people talk about. A lot of times people in families enlist. So you'll have the family tree enlist in in order, really, in the military, and then the genes, of course, pass down. But the biggest thing that's really been happening for women veterans are those that don't have the genes to uh, produce breast cancer. And so they point to toxic exposures that can include the PFAS, which is the firefighting foam, which is still in use today, by the way, even though there have been many studies to say this is toxic to people, it causes major side effects to people, it's still in use today. And also BPA, which is released into bo- uh, from uh, bottled water that is sitting out in the sun. Um, if anyone out there has been to Kuwait, Iraq, and Afghanistan and any other countries, they put pallets of bottled water in public places for people to access. Mm-hmm. those bottles of water sit out there for months, and this was when BPA was in the plastics to be released into the water that we drink. Mm. So that that's another one that really scares a whole lot of people. And that's crazy because the logistics involved with going to war, people don't realize, is, is a ton of logistics. And that's the reason why mm-hmm. there's the military has this about every job that's possibly imaginable because you need literally, you need doctors, you need the medics, you need nurses, you need not just the troops that are doing the combat, 
but you also need somebody to make the food. You need somebody to set the power up. You need somebody to build tents. You got to build tent cities. You got people that need to fix the fix the vehicles when they break down. You got people that need to maintain the power generators when that happens. You got people that got to disseminate water. People to to, to bottle the water. People to do all kinds of stuff. Purify water. All this stuff goes mm-hmm. into going into a war zone. But yeah. at the same time, if one of those little pieces doesn't go quite right or something's overlooked, there's se- severe consequences that can be felt decades, even uh, sometimes half a generation later in your health. Mm-hmm. You know, so yes. that's that's crazy. It, so the, looking at some numbers here, 22,600 new male breast cancer diagnoses in 2019 among the general population. 500 of those will die due to metastatic breast cancer. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in the United States. One in three of those will become metastatic or the or the spread, the cancer will spread. Okay. So talk to mm-hmm. me about what are some of the th- are some of the things people need to do to protect themselves if they if they are concerned about breast cancer, and we can and, and that's going to lead us to another question. But but before we get into that that debate, um, okay, what are some of the things that we need to, to be doing? And uh, once again, this happens to men as well. Uh, what should women be yeah. doing to protect themselves and try to, to catch this breast cancer before it becomes serious? Yes. So the number one part of that is healthcare. So they need to come in to do basically their own type of screen, and uh, many doctors or nurses could actually walk anyone through that. You could find that on Google, um, YouTube, of how to do your own tests. And if there's anything that you are concerned about, they uh, they can always call their uh, their primary care doctors and get those referrals in. There is usually a uh, stigma about women over 50 are more likely to have breast cancer, so you, you don't start them uh, testing until then. And it's happened before with women veterans and even men that they ask about it, they're turned away because of their age or because of their gender. So I encourage any and all to actually push to get the testing. Number one, you go to a patient advocate and push for that. Then you go to your congressman. And those people can help out. And I really recommend if you contact your congressman, call them. Because if you email or snail mail, you won't get a response for months. So if you call them right away, they should be coming back to you and uh, set up appointments to actually help you guys out. There's another thing that I'd like to suggest, but if you have any more to say, we can. Well, yes. Yeah, so, so you mentioned about self-examinations, uh, about basically te- uh, checking yourself out, and there's tons of videos on YouTube, things like that. There was some debate mm-hmm. about um, with this out there. The American Cancer Society no longer recommends breast breast self-examination as a screening tool for wow. women with average risk of breast cancer. Um, then they, well, I apologize about that. No, no, no. There's no. There, well, the reason why there's a debate about that is I bring it up to get your thoughts on it because there's. There was a study that was done in Russia and China a few years back. I think it was some, maybe about less than 10 years ago, I believe, this came out. They did a test, a study with 400,000 women. This was done in Russia and China. And, and what they found was in this particular study, which is why the American Cancer Society came out against this, was there was they found, they found no improvement or significant improvement in survival rates but from cell studies because people weren't mm-hmm. – I'm, I'm guessing from them what the results were. They, people weren't doing them correctly. Or they were mm-hmm. leading to um, um, unnecessary biopsies, unnecessary tissue removal, things like that, and it didn't have any kind of impact on the end results. However, um, there's tons of other groups. Like if you go to breastcancer.org, things like that, they still recommend self-examinations. Um, but yeah. it's, it seems to be that the the best tool 
is to make sure that you have some kind of uh, professional oversight of what you're what you're doing. And and once, from what I understand, once a month is the proper if you're going to do breast examination, once a month is the proper time to do it. And yet, many women still and men never do this, but many women don't do that. Yes. Very true. Um, the best thing I do recommend is you set an alarm on your phone, on your calendar. Just pick a time that you know you, that you're usually taking a shower or doing some sort of personal hygiene and have that little alarm on your phone. And that helps. I do that for a lot of things. Um, but the other thing about it is, is that women, before they stopped requiring or recommending that women go through annual pap smears, the other step that also happens with the pap smears is the doctor and nurse will actually do the steps and do the um, test. So a lot of p- women that have done that before, it gives them a really good idea of how to do that. And But the thing is, is that there's a good number of women that have what they call dense breasts. The tissue is harder. It's um, a little bit more difficult to identify whether there's a uh, little gross or little uh, things in there. So I do recommend to still check with the doctor. Those women that have the thicker and more dense breasts, they are more likely to actually uh, produce breast cancer as well. Hmm. And then now talk about what the the, uh, Veterans Legislative Voice. Talk about what you do there and also how that organization was started. And just give us an idea about what the work you do and how this how this relates to what we're talking about today. Yeah, um, I actually just hit my annual time of opening it up. Uh, so I, um, I, I actually was medically retired out of Army Reserve, and due to my injuries, I also had to go on full disability. So I was really lost and trying to help out there when everything happened with Vanessa Guillen. And then I started helping some of the women veterans groups on Facebook. I would do analysis check the reports, do the Excel spreadsheets, because that's what I used to do, was doing that type of thing. And that opened me up to much more purpose in my life. And for veteran, veteran legislative voice, I found that there was a huge gap of a one-stop shop or they, the availability of information for veterans or current military or supporter of veterans or military, how to actually use their Congress people. I mean, we always hear it when they're in, we're in the military, if something really drastically happens, contact your congressman. Well, for everything else, I mean, do they really care? Yes, they do. They care about their constituents. Um, a lot of times when people go through very tough times and they contact their congressman, they can actually do a lot to help them out. Either a little change in the bill, they need to know uh, how it impacts your life and they can actually do changes in things like the taxes. Um, I myself, since I was on disability and I bought the, uh, bought solar panels, the tax credit for solar panels, they didn't inform me until afterwards was non-refundable. Mm. So while I had no taxable income, I couldn't collect a tax credit on my solar panels. Mm-hmm. So that type of thing, I contacted my congressman right away and that's something that they're working on. Now, so Women in breast cancer and any other ve- and men and any other veterans that have been exposed to toxic exposures, the PFAS, um, the BPA, the burn pits, anything else in that area, it is very vital that many things will be changed in law. And a lot of times, Congress will set regulations and rules and standards 
for the Veteran Affairs Department. So both for uh, veterans' health and also for veterans' benefit. Mm. The biggest thing right now is that for burn pits or the other toxic exposures, when their conditions produce, there's no presumptive condition list that is for, like, many of the Agent Orange uh, veterans for from Vietnam War. If they... Uh, produce uh, coronary heart disease, then they're automatically approved because if they could prove if they went to Vietnam because of Agent Orange. Right now, the only presumptive or in relation to burn pits is asthma, rhinitis, and sinusitis. Um, There's a few other things like chronic fatigue syndrome and um, other things on on the VA website. But the thing is, is that you have to prove that you went there and you have to prove uh, that the toxic exposures actually produce this, and you have to fight for it. And that's um, the crazy part so- about it. I'm not to cut you off. I want you to continue <laughs> on that, but I have to interject this one point: is that why? I mean, this is what I can't I can't wrap my mind around is the fact that you have to constantly fight the military mm-hmm. to show yeah. that you are sick or this or you're hurting or you're dying. And this can take years, sometimes decades, to get to do this. We were talking about burn pits in one of the other segments. And so burn pits mm-hmm. became a big thing during the Gulf War, um, particularly because of Gulf War syndrome, because we're burning more toxic things and we're burning stuff now in these burn pits. Back in the, Maybe back in World War II, sure, we had some toxic chemicals, but the, the, the synthetic things that we burn today is nothing compared to what exists back, back, in, back in previous wars prior to Gulf War, prior to Vietnam. Um, so, yes. the, the, so the chemicals that are released in the air don't just stay put in that little confined environment. It spreads all over the place. So you have soldiers in barracks nearby that are breathing this toxic air, being exposed to dioxins, acid gas, nitrogen oxide, heavy metals, any particulate du jour that can kill you in 10 or 20 years or 30 years. But you have to fight. You got to fight. Mm-hmm. Like you keep saying, you got to fight, fight, fight to try to get your benefits, which is crazy to yes. me. That's, that's insane. Yeah, and there's a bunch of. Uh, a huge variety of congressional bills. There's going to be at least maybe 3,000 bills that's going to be introduced uh, over this congressional session, 117. Um, so by next year, the end of next year, all the bills that are introduced will die hmm. if they're not put through the um, specific steps. A lot of the toxic exposure bills do not specify uh, presumptive conditions does not uh, require any benefits to the veterans. It It's mostly of requiring the VA and the Department of Defense to do a study. And now, you probably already know this, they've done 100 studies. They've done many studies about this. And the GAO even had reported that the studies that, they, that DOD and Veteran Affairs have been doing is not up to par, up to their standard. So it's, it's very frustrating. So the bills that actually fight for presumptive conditions is... And explain uh, that before. I know we talked about it a little bit earlier in our second yeah. one, but once again, explain what that is, presumptive conditions and presumptive, that, that type of uh, flag that's put on your file that says you, have, you suffer from presumptive condition. Explain what that is. Yeah, no problem. It's any condition that the VA or Congress will recognize as a condition that is related to the exposures that a service member may have been exposed to in the areas that they lived, deployed, trained in. Um, and I, I, I will emphasize that there is no presumptive conditions bill for PFAS. PFAS. 
Okay, so kind of give that in real world like language. So if I if I was in Vietnam and I was in an area where they were using Agent Orange, it could be presumed that mm-hmm. I might have Agent Orange exposure, and therefore I might be able to get treatment because if I have issues that are popping up thirty years later, it's presumed that I yeah. should that could be a, a, a factor of because if I was exposed to Agent Orange, even if I can't prove one hundred percent that yeah I was at that particular field or that particular place where Agent Orange was released. Yes, that's true. Um, it's within the locations that the VA does specify because there have been um, veterans from the Philippines that was deployed there. Um, and they believe that they were exposed to Asian Orange, but the VA and Congress doesn't recognize it yet. Hmm. For anyone that had deployed to the time frame and to the location specified by the VA, um, any conditions on their list, 90% chance that they're going to get approved right, right away. They first need a diagnosis, and then they also need um, proof of being in that location, so orders. Mm-hmm. And typically, when you have the orders, the old DD-214s are the best thing because it has the um, operation or the war medal that's awarded to you on that. So that's what they go by. Wow. And then, so tell us, yeah. what can we do as people to try, to, as citizens and as civilians, as uh, veterans, to try to push for better legislation uh, to try and help veterans get the care that they deserve. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the contact the congressperson, they, you, um, you just type in, find my house representative, and you put in your zip and your address, and it'll pop out for you. You could check, who's my senator? And it'll pop right up there. And uh, all of these congresspeople have their own websites. They have their own social media accounts, um, and they're very accessible for many people to get a hold of. Um, one of my, the ladies that I work with and advocate for, she con- contacts her senator weekly. <laughs> um, so that type of stuff do happen. Now, there's a couple of bills. If people are not, I guess, familiar with a lot of the congressional bills, I have a few to recommend for them to talk to their uh, Congress people about. Um, the first one, uh, which is, I guess, well, I will say it's one of my favorites. It's Senate Bill 952, and it's also House Rep- House Bill uh, 2372. Uh, many of these bills have companion bills, means that the bills are introduced in both portions of Congress, so then they could actually be um, processed through at the same time, hopefully in the reason why they do this, the principle is to get it passed through quicker. And a lot of times that they will partner up with a senator and a House representative will partner up and try to get this moving. Um, And so 952 actually lists a very large amount of uh, presumptive conditions. And for women and for breast cancer, it's under reproductive cancer, just FYI, um, for people that's not familiar with the different terminologies. And it also requires that the Academy of Sciences will dictate the presumptives, any other presumptives that was not specified in that bill. I like that because it's not up to the VA. I love the VA. There's a lot of great things about it. But when they make choices that's going to cause a lot of costs happening, like a presumptive condition with the disability, they... uh, tend to be a little bit slower about that. (laughs) So um, there's a lot of other debates and rabbit holes to go down that one about. Um, Then there is another one called K2, 
uh, Veterans Care Act, and that's Senate Bill 454 and House Bill 1355. There's a location. um, It's called K2 because it's two very um, distinctive names <laughs> that start with K and I cannot pronounce it. <laughs> it's, a lo- it's a location in Uzbekistan. Okay. And the government, DOD, knew that the location was toxic. It had high radiation. Um, there was a lot of different fuels that was in the environment. And they knew they were putting their service members in that type of location. Mm-hmm. But then they did not specify or at least pass off the information off to the VA. Wow. So the VA does not recognize when those service members have deployed there and they come back with cancer or any other condition in relation that they should be treated and approved for that. So it's very frustrating. Um, one of the people, he didn't act, this one person, for example, did not go to K2, but he went to other locations within the Gulf War region, is actually President Biden's son. Hmm. And Bo Biden, he actually deployed out there, and then a few years later, he died of brain cancer. Wow. And even President Biden believes that it's from the Gulf War in the burn pits. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's so crazy it because everybody. Yeah, and the thing is, like, there was I brought up last time we talked about earlier about KBR and the lawsuit that happened with that whole uh, thing. Mm-hmm. KBR was a contractor, a subsidiary of, of Halliburton that was spun off in two thousand seven. That was one of the facilitators of these burn pits, and troops uh, years later who developed all kinds of symptoms and all types of ailments then tried to sue KBR. But uh, the the government, the lower courts decided that KBR was an, essentially an arm of the government, and therefore could not be sued. They tried to appeal it at the Supreme Court level. The Supreme Court said, "You know what? No, we're not going to. We're going to side with KBR. You, know, you guys want to have a case." Um, I mean, things like that makes you really, really concerned. And the argument will be, well, if, well, if, if people, if companies can get sued, then, you know, nobody's going to want to help out with the military causes. Well, I mean, I don't, don't believe that. I mean, that's not, I mean, there's too much money to be made in the military. There are always going to be, yeah. <laughs> there's always going to be companies that are willing to do whatever. But what we can do yeah. is we can demand that we have safer equipment and safer and safer uh, practices uh, so we don't get sick. Because mm-hmm. if, if you're killing our, our soldiers, it's not going to be any. It's not going to be a, an S and P 500 or, or Fortune 500 to protect. Because <laughs> you need the you need the military. If it wasn't for the United States military, most of these corporations wouldn't exist in the first place. Very true. Very <laughs> so, true. And I'm very familiar with KBR. I have horror stories mm-hmm. about that company. But yes, I do agree with everything you said. Massacre is crazy. I mean, but so tell us how can people get a hold of um, or get information for your organization, Veterans Legislative Voice. Tell us how to connect with you through social media. Also, uh, keep in mind, if you're watching this on YouTube, like and subscribe. Also, we're live on Facebook right now, and this is being uh, to be uploaded eventually to YouTube. But tell us how to connect with you on social media and also where to get information about what you do. Yes. Um, so I have a Facebook group. I have a Facebook page, uh, Instagram, and also Twitter. And the title is Veterans Legislative Voice. Um, you can find that very uh easily on there and all my social media is on the Facebook group page and also the, uh, the regular page. I have my own website. It's vets, V E T S legislative voice.org. Um, please try to tune in tomorrow cause there's a, it's under construction right now. I do apologize. Um, so there's it a happens. few pages that are pushed off and going and has to be reformatted. So, um, keep, please keep that in mind for everybody to please check that by tomorrow. It should be up and running. 
Okay. What are some of the more positive things you've seen happen through your work, through Veterans Le- uh, Legislative Voice? What types of uh, changes have you been able to see um, as far as uh, laws and also as far as what is being done on the legal front? Um, well, I will have to say, I mean, back to Vanessa Guillen with sexual assault and sexual harassment. While there has not been many congressional bills that has been passed, DOD even recognized that they uh, are going to take those type of UCMJ actions out of the chain of command. They're doing many other changes because of the social media storm that hit and everybody had opened up. And it was, to me, it was beautiful um, to have everybody participate and have that voice in one major facet of the military. Um, Let's see. And then the other one would be the Deborah Sampson Act. Um, All of the changes that has been done to help out women veterans. Oh, I can't, I can't, uh, I got many stories of pretty much things that happen differently for women veterans instead. And so these extra movements for us has been very amazing for us. Thanks, Stephanie, for that, for that uh, input. And also thanks for all the work you guys are doing. This is America's Heroes Group. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.